Welcome to the Immigrant Hustle. I'm not used to doing these intros, man. <laughs> I know. Why not? There's a first for everything. Yeah, no, this is usually your domain. Yo, man, it's time for you to step into the spotlight <laughs> of being host number one. I don't know if I'm ready for that responsibility, man. <laughs> um, a lot of top, a, a topic that's come up quite a bit with a lot of guests that we've had is we've talked a bit about jobs and a lot of jobs that different people have had, um, especially if you're working in any sort of creative field. Sometimes you're working a job that you really don't want to be working at in order to fund what it is you actually want to do. I mean, it's not cheap to make music. It's not cheap to be a photographer, to make film, to run a podcast. All these things require capital. They require investment. And in order to do that, you might have to work at some pretty shitty jobs throughout your life. So with this episode, we want to take a little bit of a break from our main structure and our main format. And yeah, just kind of chop it up and talk about some of those jobs that we've had while pursuing our own music. I've had a lot of shitty fucking jobs, man. So many shitty jobs. What was your first job? Do you remember? My first job ever. I think it was that wonder like it, my first job was at wonderland oh are you running the rides nah man no? I, like i didn't have the i couldn't get one of the ride jobs like i was still pretty young yeah but i worked at uh pizza the pizza pizza in kitty land okay that's a pretty that sounds like a pretty like chill but job. Yo, there was like mad like sexy mummy up in that place because <laughs> like yo, it was like Fresh moms, you know, it was yeah. fucking bare little, little kids. So yeah, it was all right. But no, yeah, it was hectic. Like I would, I would, my mom would drive me every morning. And then like at nighttime, if, if like she was ending later, I would just have to bus it back from Woodbridge to Brampton. Yeah. But yo, it was all right. Cause it was summertime. Man's got to go out. You pretty much got a season pass for free. Cause you could the second you flash your work card, you're pretty much in the in the park. Right. So right. I would just keep clothes with me after I was done work. I would just go check the homies and enjoy my time. But I think that was my first one. But then yeah, I worked at Pizza Depot. Okay. And like man, like I lasted two days at Pizza Depot. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, why? Why? Oh, see, so you already worked and, yo, at Pizza Depot. It was the Wexford one in Heart Lake. Too. Okay. Like, yeah. Yo, tell us some stories. It was spill. My, well, my brother used yeah. to be uh, like he used to be a delivery boy there. Mm -hmm. So he's like, yo, like when my parents were like, all right, yo, you should work. I was like, all right, let me go to Pizza Depot. My brother hooked it up. You know, I thought it was greasy, right, right by yeah. Heart Lake. <laughs> but then, fucking like a day into it, I'm like, yo, this shit sucks. Yo, a bunch <laughs> of raps fucking yelling at me and shit. It was fucking the worst. Yeah. So, were your parents big on, you know, pushing you towards working at a young age? They didn't force it like too, too early because they were like, yo, like don't worry, like, you know, anything you need will <laughs> buy you, right? Yeah. Uh, but like. Um, they didn't really spoil me either, right? But they're like, yo, anything you really need, like whether it was like for like soccer and all that, like they didn't hesitate in paying for stuff that was good for me. Right. But like if I was like wilding and wanted something like crazy, they'd be like, yo, chow. Like, <laughs> you know, shit that I learned. Yeah. So I, yeah, but like eventually they're like, all right, y'all, just like it's good, it's good discipline to have a job and learn that you got to fucking make money to be able to provide for yourself. Right. So eventually they're like, all right, you know, go get a job, but like, 
As a starting, I hated it. I guess because I didn't work from an early age. I was like, yeah. yo, this shit, like, eight hours? Like, <laughs> yeah. This is hectic. But, like, yeah, I bounced around from jobs to jobs. It yeah. was hectic. My parents, they didn't really push me towards working. They were more so the mentality, like, you know, just focus on school. Yeah. Get your grades up as high as you can possibly get them. Yeah. Anything else, anything that you do aside from studying is a distraction. Yeah. So they, re- they didn't really push me towards it, but I was working at a pretty young age. I remember, I think it might have been grade seven, the very first job I had, I was, uh, I was a paper boy. Okay. Yeah, delivering. I remember my cousins yeah. were paper boys, yo, and I used to help them out every now and then. That shit's hectic as fuck. It's wild, man. So I was delivering the Brampton Guardian. I didn't have too many houses. I didn't have the biggest route, but yeah. pretty much rain or shine, snow, heat, anything, you got to do it. So there was never that option of not doing it. Uh, it was like you had to do it. People expected their paper. And, you know, sometimes people would have dogs out on their porches, oh, man. dogs behind the screen doors. There's so much so, politics to, like, can yeah. you walk on the grass? Can you not walk on the grass? Like, you know, are there dogs? Yeah, after but, after a while, I would pretty much, I was walking on everybody's grass. Yeah. That, I was, <laughs> for I was, damn sure. Yeah, I was trying to, like, all right, deliver it, walk on the driveway, sidewalk, yeah. next house, but... Nah, yo. Some, if you can cut, and if yeah. it's, like, a big fucking, like, you know, advantage for you, then you gotta yo, do it. You, yeah, just run across the grass. I think, actually, even before that, like, I was put through... I don't want to well, call it child labor. Yo, yeah. you, you, that shit doesn't even pay much at no, all, either. not at all, no. <laughs> but my, my, I guess my training for that, uh, my uncle, he ran in uh, municipal elections in, like, 97 in okay. Malta. So I was, like, 9, 10 years old at this point. Uh. And we would have to deliver flyers for him in his uh, in his riding. So pretty much on the weekends or on the evenings, pretty much as early as we could possibly get involved till as late as we could get involved. I remember being out at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, going door to door, hanging up flyers for him. <laughs> So that was, I guess, my earliest introduction into the working world. Didn't get paid for it, though. That That's the thing of, like, I think, like, it's good discipline to have. Like, I yeah. feel like even when I have kids, I'm going to, like, just give them, like, little bullshit jobs. And if they if they do it, <laughs> they do it. If not, they, then whatever, right? Yo, did you have an allowance growing up? No. No. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I didn't have, like, yo, at the end of the week, you're going to receive, like, $7. Yeah. Or at the end of the month, you're going to get this. Yeah. It was never like that. It was just like, yo, every now and then, if you if you have your heart on some, set to something that is a, a affordable to a, whatever, like, you know, our family could afford, then, yo, you could get it. Like, yeah. you know, it was in that sense. But it wasn't like... It wasn't like here. Here's you're gonna have money, and this is what you could do with it. Yeah, I remember. Like, like the older yeah. I got, maybe they would be like, "Yo, we'll put a little bit of money in your account every now and then," but like nothing wild at all. Like, yeah, my parents still kept it really stingy. <laughs> I remember like watching sitcoms and stuff, and all these kids had al- kids had allowances. Yeah, and I wanted that, but. No, we like <laughs> we would wash the dishes, cut the grass, vacuum, another, but we'd never get a dime for another it. Another thing was like your kids that used to get like uh, money for like good grades. Yeah. I remember like the few times I brought home good grades, I'm like, yo, you know, like I could make like some demands, and I was like, yo, nah, dog, like that's just expectations. Not yeah, my my dad would kind of 
bribe me with it. Like my parents were super stingy yeah. to the point where even like a two dollar pack of hockey cards, he would say, "No, you got to get straight A's, and I'll buy you this two dollar pack of hockey cards." That's fucked. Yeah, I remember like growing up uh, playing soccer. There was uh, some kid on our team that would get. He would get like McDonald's every time he scored. And I used to score mad goals. And I'm like, yeah. I remember like slyly telling my pops, like, yo, this kid gets like McDonald's every time like he scores. And yeah. Like, I'm like, I score bad goals. Uh, I remember my dad just like, yo, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> you ain't got no McDonald's. So then as you got older, so you had the like high school, you're working the job at uh, Wonderland, Pizza Depot. At what point, like when you're starting to make music now, what were some of the jobs that you did to, you know, to cop that mic or to buy that studio time? Or what What were some of those earliest jobs that you had? I remember right when we started taking, like, music seriously. And I was like, all right, yo, we got to fucking, you know, there becomes a level where you have to kind of start investing in yourself. And it's not just going to be like, go record at a homie's place. Like, eventually you got to start paying for videos you got to start paying for even studio time like you said for somebody to mix and master yeah everything has like a fee to it right once you want it to be at a professional level right so it's like at me at that time it was like right when i was like going to college pretty much out of high school yeah but then like i remember still having to like grab like jobs here and there that would like i remember going through like like the work agencies and shit yeah, like I've been what there, was the man. one apple apple, apple one <laughs> yeah apple fuck one. that place yo. fuck that place full life <laughs> fuck that i place. remember apple one they linked me with a job at canadian tire warehouse oh my god i think i worked there yeah too, so yo. the shift was 4 p.m. in the afternoon till 2 a.m. in the morning. Oh, my God. That's the worst. Thing. That yeah. one and 3 to 11 is the worst fucking shift. Yeah. Ever. So I'm, I'm doing this job at Canadian Tire. And basically, you're in, a, you're in the back of a trailer. Yeah. And there's this conveyor belt that brings all the <laughs> merchandise down. And you have to stack up the merchandise in a wall. So you got to make it like as flat as possible. Otherwise, your trailer is going to overflow. And the store is not going to get the merchandise. But yeah. I remember, like, that was the first, like, legit job that I had. Like, not just a paper route. Like, an actual job where you go and you come back. And, yo, it was it was definitely uh, an adjustment. Because yeah. I was young and everybody else there was in their 30s, 40s, 50s. So to be in that environment. And the thing is, a lot of those people that worked there, they were newcomers to Canada. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about it in terms of, you know, our parents coming to Canada and having to work labor jobs, but that that was still ongoing. Yeah. So I remember just being in this environment where there's, you know, newcomers from China, from Punjab, from the Middle East, and it was like pretty much a hub for everybody that was like either a student or a newcomer. Yeah. And that cuz like we didn't have any qualifications, so that's where we kind of had to go. Straight up. Yeah. I remember, like, even uh, I was working at Winner's Warehouse, yo. Yeah. Fucking worse. Like, <laughs> grabbing, grabbing, like, I remember grabbing, like, mangoes, like, crates of mangoes out of the back of a fucking big-ass truck. Yeah. And then just, like, piling the skids and then having to wrap them. Oh, and, like, okay. yo, it was, 
for like eight hours. It was the worst. So you were in shipping then? Yeah, I was in that area. Yeah. It was the worst. <laughs> Yeah, and I remember, t- yeah. but it was fucked. Like even like like you said, like going to lunch, all I would see is just all ethnicities, but like a lot of like aunties and uncles. And it was funny because like one of the parents, it was like a it was like a husband wife, yeah, and they recognized me because they were like I had played soccer with her son. Okay, and I was like, yo, I was like, apparently they had like lost their jobs and whatever, and they had like they had no choice but to work here, and I was just like. That was like the first time I was. It was very eye opening. Like, yo, this yeah. working world. Like, it gave me like, you know, it made me realize a lot of things, right? Yeah. Because before money, I mean, working was just like a sense of like having the freedom of buying your own things, right? Mm-hmm. Once you kind of get into the real working world, you realize like how much it is you need it to survive. Yeah. Right. Like when once you once you. Uh, once you have to pay the bills and take care of the kids and and all that shit, it's like you have to do whatever the fuck it takes, right? Yeah, it, and that was like my first kind of rea- like reality check in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the like I was working at Canadian Tire just for the summer, so I was just trying to stack up some loot to go back to school. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that de- that that harsh reality sets in where it's like, okay, by the time August ends, I can leave. But for the other people that are working there, that's their livelihood entirely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely like a, a rude awakening once you get to that age and you enter the working world. Yeah, that shit was hectic to see. Uh, what was your best job, do you feel? There was one. I actually had a factory job that wasn't too bad. Yo. Okay. It was, a, it was a job where it was a factory that breaks down recycled electronics Okay. So like, like small to big. So there was one section where there was manual labor, meaning like yo, know, there was people taking apart like TVs, computers, all sorts of old electronics, and you would have to take out things that were harmful of going through this big fucking grinder, which is the other part of the this big ass warehouse, right? Yeah. So I was I was pretty much in that area where you had to pretty much just take apart electronics. Mm. And for me, like I've always been intrigued with like, you know, working with my hands. So I didn't I didn't mind that. And it was like it could be anything from like like little iPads and like iPods and like fucking little little things to like sixty yeah. inch TVs. And like I have to take out a certain battery because it can't go through the shredder or whatever. But that one was kind of cool because, like, literally, I got and there was no like, this is how you're supposed to take it apart. It's like they give you a bucket full of tools and it's like, you do whatever to this fucking electronic <laughs> device, just take this thing out. So I could smash it with a hammer yeah. if I wanted to. But to me, it was more like unscrewing shit and seeing how it's like put together, right? And that yeah. was kind of at least that was knowledgeable and like a skill set. So right. it wasn't just like fucking. You know how it is. Factory work is like you feel like a robot, right? You're yeah, doing definitely. repetitive shit. So in that sense, it was kind of cool for like a young me. And Yeah. I remember, I think the best job that I had, this was like right after I graduated from university. Yeah. So pretty much I graduated in the spring. I had this job over the summer. Um, this was at the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. Oh, shit. Yeah. So this was cool. I was... Primarily working with with kids that yeah. had that were blind or had visual impairments, um, so it was myself and two other people that I was working with, 
very closely and we would pretty much be like the supervisors and the facilitators for uh the day program so there was like three week-long day camps that they had okay. so there was one in saint catherine's one in hamilton and one in mississauga where we would take kids from each of those regions and every day from like 9 a.m till 3 or 4 p.m we would take them on different outings so we'd give them opportunities to you know, go go to different places, experience different things, learn new skills. And that was the cool thing that I learned was like, you know, we would take them to a cooking class. So yeah. we would see how, you know, kids that were blind or had visual impairments, we would teach them how to use knives properly and things like that. Or like, you know, how to mix ingredients. So it was really, really cool in that sense because I'd never had any exposure yeah. to that population before. So just to to be thrown into that world, and just to have my eyes opened up to like an entirely different reality. Yeah, that fuck, man. Yeah. That shit must be hectic. So It was really cool though. But I even mean, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, like you know, it's like to afford them the luxury of doing putting them in a space that they're not used to, like that's mm -hmm. amazing and that must give them a lot of confidence as well, right? Yeah. And that type of work is you see the reward of yeah. of your work right there in front of you, right? They didn't let anything stopped them from yeah. just being kids and having the fun that they wanted to have. So that was probably the the dopest job that I had. Like yeah, probably the most rewarding amazing, one. Yeah. yeah. But on the other side of that, one of the worst jobs I had <laughs> <laughs> um I was working uh night shift at a gas station. I had just finished my masters and I yeah. couldn't get a job anywhere. Yeah. I'm applying like universities, hospitals I'm applying to so many different places and I couldn't get hired. I couldn't get interviews. And I was coming up on like close to a year after graduation. And I couldn't find work. Um, so my uncle, he, he had a gas station. Okay. Yeah. I, was I thought that's the way you were <laughs> going. I remember these days. Yeah. So he's like, all right, yo, if you need a way to get out of the house, a yeah. way to just make a little bit of money for yourself come to death row right <laughs> so yeah i was working out so there so he signed to death row yeah he <laughs> sold his goddamn soul <laughs> yeah so i was working night shift it was brutal man so from like 11 p.m at night to 7 a.m every day and the, i guess the hardest part of it wasn't even the work itself but just having your body adjust to working on opposite hours yeah no that's yeah. a huge thing yeah and like i would come home and everyone else was awake and going about their stuff. The sun's out. I'm trying to sleep. Impossible to do. But, yeah, the work. So I'm at this gas station. You're responsible for everything. Like, people tend to shit on, like, these minimum wage jobs. But there's a lot that goes into it. Oh, man. It's yeah. hard, man. The it's shittier really the pay, the more work you do. <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah, so. like, I had to obviously run the register take care of merchandise, clean the bathroom, clean pretty much every spot of the <laughs> gas station every night. You had to go outside, clean the pumps, take out the trash, sweep up on the sidewalk. And it was my uncle too, so I couldn't even have acid because he was going to kick my ass every time if I did something bad. Um, but yeah, that was rough, man. Especially for a lot of immigrant parents, they're like, yo, education is the way. Yeah. Once you have this, this is going to unlock everything for you. Straight up. But that's not always the case. And I was, again, like I had a master's, but I'm working a minimum wage job. And, you know, that's sometimes that's the grind. I know. And that, well, that's the thing, right? It, it was like, there was a, there was a big rush 
in our generation for kids to get educated, right? Like yeah. the trades weren't heavily like influenced to our generation, right? Mm-hmm. It was the generation before us was like, yeah. yo, as long as you work hard, it doesn't matter about education, right? Yeah. Then it became, yo, go to fucking school so you don't <laughs> got to do this fucking hard work. Yeah. And then, you know, everybody decided to go to university and then, yo, these jobs became less and less available and then now there's so many people who are university educated who can't get jobs right away eventually yeah yeah, you will the more you look but it's like fucking it's not just right there like you yeah like they're like what you were sold right as an Mm. idea but yeah it's i've seen a lot of people with university degrees that had to grind it out way before they got you know their like their dream job kind of thing yeah for sure and i remember I was working at that gas station around the time Zoo Babies was going on. Nah, so, no, I remember yeah. like you were just like, yo, fuck life right now. <laughs> it yo. was weird because on one side, we're doing so well musically. And then on the other side, you're doing all this work and it feels like it's for nothing. And it's I remember, so funny because yeah. for me, it was the same thing too. Like at that point, I'm working like these random fucking jobs, like yeah. bouncing from the job to jobs. And I was just like... I was kind of using that as a motivation in my writing to be like, yeah. yo, this shit better be extra hard because I ain't finna do fucking this shit for the rest <laughs> of my life. Like, fuck this. Yeah, and I remember one... Um, so we had a Zoo Babies gig, and it was like a... Re- it was a university gig at... Uh, it was downtown somewhere. I can't remember what school it was. But it was during the day. It was like during Frosh Week. So I remember I worked from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Yeah. Uh, went from the gas station to the go station, <laughs> hopped on a bus downtown, met up with you guys. We did a daytime show at like 11 a.m. or 12 p.m. or something. We opened up for Ace Hood. Oh, that was That day, yeah. Oh, my God. So I was no sleep. And it was hot as fuck that day, yeah. too. <laughs> no sleep, fresh off of work, minimum wage job, rocked the show with, who was with one of the biggest rappers at that time. Yeah. So this yo. was Ace Hood when he was popping. Like, yeah. not even now, fucking Ace Hood. <laughs> this is like new Bugatti Ace Hood era. <laughs> yeah, so, yo, this rap shit is not glamorous. Nah, bro. You got to work at a gas station before you can do this rap shit. <laughs> uh, get it real. But, I mean, I think, like, it's for a lot of people, a lot of people that I know that are in arts or in any sort of creative field, that's what they got to do like they work two or three jobs they work at these minimum wage jobs or low-paying jobs or yeah. insecure jobs or contract work and they do it to to fund their dreams and fund what they're actually passionate about you know what i actually had one i finessed one of the greatest jobs too i forgot yeah. to fucking talk about this i found like i put online like a, i had like an online resume or whatever on one of these online sites to try to get like jobs in like the area or whatever yeah but i had it that I can speak Punjabi, fucking Norwegian, yeah. and English. Like, and I'm like, I can speak like Norwegian, like decently, but like yeah. not like completely fluently anymore, right? Yeah. So then randomly, I get like a phone call and it's like, yo, like, uh, is this so and so? Like, do you speak Norwegian? I'm like, yeah. They're like, yo, we have this call center job where you're gonna be calling Norwegian companies and you just gotta <laughs> fucking you're just gonna be doing the survey for us. Yeah. I'm like, hell yeah, how much does it pay? They're like twenty five dollars an hour. Okay. But it's like it was literally I'd start at fucking uh at midnight 
and I would end at like seven in the morning. Yo. Yeah, it was the worst shit ever. But like, yo, it was literally I'd be in this like unit, pretty much. Like, I go in, like I I see, I'm like, I just have the supervisor. Like, I know he doesn't speak Norwegian, so I'm like, yo. So the supervisor didn't even no, speak the language. No, like they're like, yo, we just need this for this one one like I don't know what the fuck. They're like, yo, this is. A thing where we need to call Norwegians. Can you speak Norwegian? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah. They didn't have a person there, so whatever. I'm like, I do it. I have to like call. So they give me a list of numbers to call. Calling. Most of these people are like high ups in these companies, so most yeah. of the time I would talk to a secretary, and then they'll be like, "Yo, they're out at this. Like, what is it about?" And yeah, I'm what like, was the survey about? It was like a survey survey about these companies would have like the Siemens pro, pro, like uh, machines or whatever like that that would be operated by these i guess um like electronic controls right so they these okay. guys Siemens would make these electronic controls for them so it was all about like i guess uh, it was a survey about how how their company feels that their product is doing for them right right but like most of the time, it would be like these high ups in these companies that I would have to reach. And then first of all, I'd get through to the secretary. I'm like, I need to talk to this guy. They'd be like, Yo, so and so is like busy right now. What is it about? I'd be like, Yo, it's about the survey. Yeah. But most of them would be like, Yo, get the fuck out of here. Like, Yo, this guy's <laughs> fucking like got so many things to do, right? But every now and then, I would like get a hold of somebody. And they're like, Fuck, I gotta go through this whole spiel, right? Yeah. And then, like, blah, 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 I'd run through it, and they're like, okay, let's do it. And then I'd have to ask the question, and, like, half the time, like, I guess my pronunciation was, like, so off. <laughs> so they're like, yo, like, where are you from? Because, like, yo, your Norwegian is a bit off. I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm literally, I'm like, yo, I'm like, I was born in Norway. I'm in, in Canada right now calling. Yeah. Like, blah, blah. And they were all so polite. They're like, all right, cool, whatever, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm like, eventually, I would just be like, all right, yo, that's all I need. I would cut it in, like, half, yeah. right? And I, like, literally, and I was, like, I did that for the first eight. And then I'm, like, yo, is anybody going to, like, catch on that, like, you know, it's not going good? But, like, the guy's, like, all right, cool. I did my first shift. And I'm, like, this is proper. So I did that. I made that stretch for, like, four weeks, yo. Yeah. Made more guap than I'd ever made at any <laughs> fucking job, yo. And then, like, after two weeks, they're, like, all right, yo. Um, they're, like, that's it. Yeah. I think that we got all the info we need. And I'm, like, all right, cool. And I was just like, because it was like after you fi did the survey, I would just have to fill out the answers and, and then like they just log the data, right? Mm. So I was kind of half winging it and just putting in all these entries. <laughs> but yo, it was it paid way more than any job I'd ever had at that point. Yeah. And I just, yo, that fucking, that four, those four weeks just gave me fucking more money and I just, just didn't work for the longest <laughs> time after that because I was like, yo, I'm good. <laughs> it was proper. So one thing I wanted to talk about was the very first song that I can remember recording and putting out. Okay. Yeah, because I think, you know, as people that are involved in music or any sort of creative endeavor, it's easy to just focus on, okay, what am I working on now? What's the next thing I'm doing? And there can be a lot of stress in that. And sometimes it's cool to pause and reflect and just see how far you've actually come. Because yeah. we tend to lose sight of that looking at where we want to go. We don't see where we actually started from and how far we've come since that point. I never look back. <laughs> <laughs> Not even when I reverse. <laughs> never. Yeah, so I want to take it back to the winter of 2009. This is like 
late, late December. The year was almost over at this point. I can't even remember 2018 anymore. So <laughs> you're going to have to refresh my memory. All right. This is like, I think pretty much the last week of 2009. And Sick Knowledge was in town. He was still living in Montreal at this point. Shout out to homie Sick Knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So anytime he would come to Toronto or Brampton, Mississauga, we would always try to make a point to link up. So he was in town from Montreal. And I remember this was around the time the Avatar movie was out. Okay. So Avatar was the biggest thing in the world. And we were all chilling at um, Babu's house. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're chilling at Babu's house. So it was me, Babu, Sick Knowledge, Humble the Poet, and Magic, you were there as well, as well as uh, Devious Minds was there. And pretty much we were waiting for Babu's brother, Harmon, Harmon the Hater. We're waiting for him to come back. Yeah. He was out somewhere. I don't remember where he was, but he was out, and we're waiting for him to come back so we could all go watch Avatar together. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, I think Humble was just like, why don't we work on some music? So Sick Knowledge, he had a mic with him. So he pulls out the mic. It's a mic stand, gets it set up. Um, I don't, we like pull a curtain off in the corner of the room. Yeah, it wasn't even a curtain. It was like a chadar or something. <laughs> some, like some black sheet or black curtain or something. Yeah. We had it set up. And then I think Devious was like, yeah, I got some beats. So he threw a beat on. He's playing it. And everyone's like in their own corners writing and i remember because i had never properly recorded like i had done stuff in my own room with like a little shitty computer mic but i had never done i've never recorded on actual mic with a stand yeah. so just that in itself was like intimidating but then to be in the same room with you and with babu with humble and sick like like humble and sick in particular they were i was i admired these guys so much yeah and to actually have the opportunity to be on the same track with them at this point, like I was, I was sweating hard. I'm like, Straight man. Up. <laughs> so, and I'd never really been in that environment where I was writing in the same room with other people. Same here, man. Yeah. Like I, I, at that point I had enough experience of recording, but it was, it was always like me and another guy in a basement and that's it. Right. Yeah. It would never be like, yo, there's like five dudes in a track. Yo, everybody spit your best 16 and write it right now. Yeah. Like I'd never been in that experience. And I remember being nervous as fuck too. Cause like you yeah. said, like, yo, humble and sick knowledge to us at that point, we we're like, yo, these guys are fucking on already. Like, you yeah. know, like, so we we're like, yo, we got to spit some fucking fire shit. So I remember like, I was comfortable with recording, but not like nothing like those guys. Right? Yeah. For for me, I was like I was, I was very private with my writing. Man. I didn't really share it with a whole lot of people. So now to be thrown into that environment, it's like, man, I just came to watch a movie. Now I'm like <laughs> going against these heavyweights yeah. to try try to write bars with them. And then so I'm put in this environment where I'm forced to step outside my comfort zone. And I like I'd heard my voice back on the mic a couple of times before that. But I wasn't comfortable with it yet. Yeah. So I wasn't comfortable with like vocal performance, delivery. So I'm like totally out of my element here <laughs> with writing, with recording. But I remember everybody was like, people would finish their verses at different points and they'd go, they'd go behind the curtain to record. And um, I can't remember who went first, but I know a couple people went first. I think you might have gone first. I, I think because, yo, this yeah. is when I just write quickly as 
fuck. Yeah. But I was garbage. <laughs> like, you know, it was, I don't know. No, I, I do remember going first, though. Yeah, you were pretty quick with the verses. Yeah. So I think you went up first, and I think Babu might have gone second. And Babu bodied it. I felt like he had the yeah, hardest verse no, on that Babu, track. I remember just being like, yo, this guy is nice. Yeah. So I think I might have gone third or fourth, but I knew there was a couple of people before me, and there might have been a couple of people after me. So I go up, I go in behind the curtain, and like I'm, I'm literally I'm holding this paper in front of my face, and my hand is shaking. Yeah. Right? I'm like, I'm stressing hard. Um, so they play the beat. I remember I'm, I'm recording. I'm doing my verse, and on the first take, I ran out of breath at one point. Okay. Like, and I was like, shit. I've like ruined my credibility with these guys, <laughs> right? Because I think you knocked it out in like one take. Babu did maybe two takes or something. I'm like, man, I got to get this quick because I got to show that I belong. I can uh, hang with these guys, right? Because like I was trying to impress you guys. My, how the tables have turned. <laughs> so I wanted to impress you guys because I wanted to continue working with you guys. Because uh, at this point, like it took me a while to build up that confidence to actually put myself out there yeah. and now that i was out there and starting to connect with other artists i wanted to you know i wanted to show that i belonged yeah yeah so i remember it took a couple of takes finally got over some of those early jitters but i got the take down heard it back again we still wasn't comfortable with my vocal delivery so i wasn't fully happy with it but hey i did it and you know, I was a little bit relieved, you know. I feel like, even, yeah, even back then, it was just like, okay, as long as you can get through your 16 without fucking up and without, yeah. without like, with it sounding, like, decent, we were content with it back then. Because it was yeah. just like, it wasn't like, okay, make it sound perfect, like how we do it now, right? Yeah. But, yeah, there was just like, okay, oh, that, I remember that sense of relief, too. Like, I got through it, and I was like, <laughs> came out through the curtain, it was just like, yo, supreme confidence, like, I bodied that. Yeah. But now, listening back to it, it's, like, semi-cringeworthy. Like. I know, I listened back to the song, we listened to it right before we recorded this, um, yeah, my vocal delivery is so flat. Yeah, you were going the dark route at the yeah. starting, uh, I, It was just entirely flat, there's no character to it. Uh, there's but that's the, the yeah. thing, right? Like, yo, you you are so good at even even with your work now, where yo, you you have everything memorized by the time you're going to like final recordings, right? Yeah. And like that is an art in itself, right? It's just to sound like you're not reading, and all of our early work is that that yeah. thing that you can you can tell that the person's reading, right? Right, right. And that's you know for somebody who knows music. It's a huge tell, right? It's a huge difference in confidence being exuded on a microphone when you know it, right? So yeah. back then, it's yo know, early stages, right? So we we didn't know tone, cadence, or fucking, you know, as, as yeah. long as the like we knew enough that that lyrics matter to some extent, but like our flows are nothing compared to what they are now, right? Yeah, and I remember just being in the room, like watching Sick Knowledge record, watching Humble record, like I I was. I still am, but I was uh, at that point. I was a huge fan of their music, yeah. and to actually see people that I consider to be real artists actually in the creative process, like that was incredible to just be in that environment. Yeah. Um. So I was just like blown away watching them. I honestly like. I remember back then just being like, "Yo, that was something that I had never done." So like the fact that we did that, and we knocked off a song so quickly, yeah. and it was just a bunch of dudes like you know, and we fed off our each other's energy. And I remember just, like, everybody's reaction once, like, you know, somebody would finish a verse and just coming out. And it was just 
so much positivity at that point mm. when there was so much like nervousness in us. Yeah. Like I feel like some there was something about that that was just like it was one of those feelings that I hadn't had at that point in music. And it was just like it was a very early reminder to myself that yo you're this is something you should be doing right mm. like yo this is dope like this was something you were nervous to do but it turned out well yeah don't hesitate to put yourself in positions where you might be vulnerable right. and i feel like that was a very early lesson for me musically yeah um yeah just like the fact that like you're saying just the fact that i was able to get through the verse and I didn't embarrass myself with, like, I didn't write a whack verse. Like, I felt like I held my own with everybody else in there. Yeah. That was a huge, uh, huge confidence boost. Because I felt like, you know, this is something that I wanted for a long time. Now I'm finally in this environment. Yeah. And I held my own, I felt. So I think that definitely gave me the, the confidence to keep pushing with it and keep going on. And then, yeah, so we fin everybody did their verses, all five guys. We finished the track. And then... Nobody knew where the hell Harmon was. <laughs> we're still waiting for this guy. Um, I don't know. Did where... we even end up watching Avatar? We did not. We yeah, because I feel yeah. like I watched uh, on DVD later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we we literally we sat down, picked a beat. Everybody wrote. Everybody recorded. And he still wasn't there, so we got yeah. mad late. We never did a video for that. No, we didn't do a video. But I remember. Because the song was created while we were waiting for Harmon, Humble just decided to title it Waiting for Harmon, which was dope. Harman. And I remember we didn't hear, I didn't hear the final version until the song was actually released with the rest of Humble's mixtape. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I ever heard it before yeah. then. Yeah, I don't think we were given like an MP3 before. So when the track actually came out, Sick Knowledge did an entirely new beat. So he took all the acapellas which were recorded to a devious beat and he made something brand new which had like a crazy bounce to it, a yeah. totally different vibe than the track we recorded to. So that was just, like that blew my mind when I actually heard the, the beat and I heard how he arranged the vocals and the way he like had the beat switch up to match certain parts of the verses. Yeah. Like that was my first exposure to really seeing on a grassroots underground level, like how how we could actually create something that was on the level of the stuff that we were fans of. Yeah. Right? So that kind of showed me we have it, even though we don't have access to the big budget studios and none of that stuff, with the equipment that we do have, we were still capable of creating something that was dope enough to stand up with the artists that we bought in the stores and saw as shows. I mean, so that was a huge turning point for me as far as a writer, as far as a vocal artist, and just as far as understanding production and arrangement and all that sort of stuff. So just hearing myself back on an actual track yeah. was an incredible experience. I remember I was in the car, I was driving around listening to the whole mixtape, and pretty much for the entire day that, uh, that mixtape came out, I just had that song on loop. Yeah. And I was like... It was incredible. It was just like, wow, I actually made something. I feel like that that's something that a lot of artists deal with is like, yo, you fall in kind of fall in love with the way you sound, right? Like yeah. it's just some, it does something to you, right? Like I remember even for me, like I all my like now I kind of 
stopped doing it, but I remember in the early stages, I would just fucking listen to like the second we recorded it and I got a rough version back. Yeah. I would just play it over and over yeah. and over to the point like I hated the song by the time it came out because I like I'd literally played it over and over again. There's something to that like mm. you get infatuated with it. And then that's kind of when you understand, yo, there's a method of making myself sound exactly how I'd want to sound and that's it's your rap voice, right? And that's some of the greatest artists we know have yeah. a certain rap voice. It might not be their speaking voice. Might be something, some type of cadence and, and level that they've figured out through time to get to, right? So, yeah. that I guess that's that. This that has been part of our evolution as well. Is like when we listen back to something like "Waiting for Harmon." Yeah, it might be cringeworthy now, mm-hmm. but it it is it is part of the progress that we've made as artists. Obviously, ten years down the road, we're gonna be better. Yeah, <laughs> if we weren't, then why the fuck are we still doing <laughs> it, right? But it's uh it's a it's an honest reminder right like mm. yo the just even talking about it now i remember that joy that i had back then and yeah with just being able to create and i feel like that's something that we need to reflect on more often because that'll keep us honest with our art as well right mm. yeah and i remember as as happy as i was with how that song came out there was still a part of me that you know, wanted to improve because I was listening to Humble's delivery and yeah. Signology's delivery. And I'm like, yeah, I sound good. I sound like I belong, but I'm still like there are still other attributes that I want to incorporate yeah. within my own delivery and within my own sound. And I think that was the cool thing about that time period was that everybody was trying to learn and just develop and expand upon their craft. And we were in an environment where we were working closely with so many dope artists that were all at varying stages of development, but everyone was so different with their styles. Yeah. So it allowed you to kind of pick and choose what elements you wanted to incorporate into your own style. Yeah, that was like my first group setting. So yeah. like before, yeah, working with producers and like a few artists, but it was it was the first time that you got to kind of see instant validity to what you're doing right because it's like yo somebody is like you know you step out of a booth and there's so many people rappers around you if you see the oohs the ahs after spitting a certain line like yeah then you know yo like you can think yo this line's gonna get them and then they might be like yo fuck that line (laughs) right but it could also be like you could see the fucking scrunchy face when you spat that bar because it's like yeah you know and then you know it's it's way more inspirational in some sense. And I uh, later on, I figured that I even do better in those type of situations at times because I feed off that energy. But yeah, that was, it was something totally different. And I feel like it, it sparked a lot of the shit that came after it too. Like it was the beginning of that. Yeah. And I think, so we did that track and I think it was a week later or a couple of weeks later where we recorded bombs over Baghdad together yeah. But yeah, waiting for Harmon, that was kind of like the the genesis or the origin point, at least for me, on record, on wax, like actually recorded and released as a a proper song. Straight up. So yeah, it's it's kinda of cool to go back and, and check it out. And yo, it's dope to also see not even just within ourselves how we've grown, but everybody else on that was on that track, how much they've developed their styles. Yeah. Like from a production standpoint. Sick knowledge has 
like light years ahead of where he was back then. Yeah. And like he was God status back then. Straight up. And somehow he's like leveled up even more beyond that. So it's it's really dope to kind of go back sometimes and just see the origin of where things go. And it's cool to like when you hear songs and it takes you back to not even that environment, but just the energy that was in the air yeah. when you were creating it. And I think that's like a unique thing about music is that when you listen to it, it, at least for me, I feel like you feel that exact same vibe or that exact same energy that went into the creation. Mm. It's kind of encapsulated within the music that was made out of that. For sure. Yeah, and I, I still haven't seen Avatar. No? No. I don't, like, now that I think about it, I don't, like, cinematically it was dope, but yeah. I don't know what the story anymore. I don't remember. Yeah. Was it worth the hype? Because I remember it was, like, everywhere when it came out. Well, the whole thing, the, see, this is the fuckery, right? The whole thing is that it was, like, the first 3D movie that's supposed to be, like, buck, buck. Yeah. Right? So, but I watched it on DVD, so it's, like, but I still <laughs> thought it was, no, I watched it on Blu-ray when Blu-ray first started. Yeah, like, I remember it being, like, nuts, but the story, I, I don't remember the story, so yeah. it couldn't have been that greasy, but yeah. I'm sure some nerd will fight me over it. <laughs> but, yeah, it's cool, man. It just shows how when things don't necessarily go as you wanted them to go, you can still make use of whatever the situation was. I mean, we could have just watched the movie, but if we did, we wouldn't have had this memory. Yeah, if you know now, just reflecting on it, it's like, yo, more, why not have more spontaneous studio sessions? It feels like now, or even in like more latter part of our career, it's more like organized in the sense like, yeah. okay, oh, here's, come one day you might be getting some beats or whatever, and then it might be a next day where you're fucking, you're writing it by yourself. All right, yo, let's record this day. Yeah. You go record that day, then it's like, okay, wait for it to get mixed, wait for it to get... And it's understandable, right? For everything to sound the way we want it and the quality levels, it takes a little bit more time than what we just used to release, right? You can yeah. see in the quality difference. But even just, just for to even start a track and start ideas, that spontaneity is needed. And it's... It, mm. it, when we first started, it was very... Like, it used to be all the time, right? Because everybody yeah. was very excited at that point, right? And it was just... Yo, so many creatives, all right, let's fucking get all these creative energies that we have yeah. and just go ham, right? But I feel like it's a constant reminder to, yo, keep that keep that shit going, right? When those creative juices are going, yo, just fucking fuck shit up. Make shit happen, yo. No yeah. excuses, yo. You got a fucking chadra in the corner and a <laughs> mic, yo, let's let's get it popping. Yeah, straight up. That was yeah, I think I think you bring up a great point. I think you know, as artists develop and they get more established, that spontaneity tends to tends to not be as common. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to put yourself in that environment where you are bouncing ideas off of each other. Especially now in like the internet age of music, it's very easy for me to do a track with someone on the other side of the world and never be in the same room with them. Exactly. There's no more excuses like... You can do everything now, <laughs> like yeah. literally. You, it's just a fact of just buckling down and doing it, right? Mm. And I remember when we first started, like, this is all I ever thought about, yeah. right? And it's, that's the thing. It's like, don't let doubts ever fuck with you, right? Mm. It's, 
you just gotta fucking dive dive into shit and yo if things don't work out it's okay it's not gonna it's not gonna fucking affect the rest of your life tomorrow is another day and like yeah i'm glad that we have we've had the journey we've had so far the way we've done it because it's 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 been a fucking roller coaster ride man it's 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 dope to reflect on yeah no doubt so yeah shout out to everybody that was part of that session shout out to sick knowledge humble babu shout out shout out and that was cool that was just literally recorded in a bedroom and it goes to show that you don't need the best equipment to make something happen nah man just do it yeah so with that being said I'm going to take your tagline. Yo, <laughs> yo, the royalties are going to come in. <laughs> you got to trademark that. <laughs> I'll let you say the last part. Okay.